Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News Magazine, coming at you with another Velo News Tech podcast. We are in the midst of the spring uh, winter that will never end. It's been snowing in Colorado and raining and cold. But today it's a beautiful day. And so, of course, I'm in my basement, uh, tucked away, report, recording a podcast uh, because of my own bad timing. Now, with the beautiful weather here in Colorado, you would think that a lot of the focus would be on just getting outside and, and riding your bike and enjoying the mountains. But really, the focus this week is on Kansas, which is strange, uh, unless you are familiar with Dirty Kansas, uh, which is a, a, a pretty epic gravel race. Uh, and so a lot of people have their, their minds focused pretty squarely on gravel this week in preparation. And so I wanted to talk to somebody who would know a thing or two about Dirty Kanza and, and talk about gear, but also about preparation and about what it takes to uh, be prepared for one of these long gravel races that are really just incredibly difficult. And since it's such a, a you know, it, we, we talk about gravel as though it's been around for a long time. It really hasn't. It's only been growing up in the last few years. So there's a lot of misinformation about what kind of gear you need, what kind of preparation you need to do. And so I wanted to talk about that today. And who better to talk about that than a former pro road cyclist and currently probably one of the best known gravel riders uh, in the country, Allison Tetrick. Uh, Allison, thanks for joining me today. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm stoked. I'm so glad to talk to you. It's uh, it's nice to talk to somebody who has real life experience with this. Not that the nerdy engineers I usually talk to don't have experience with it, but it's nice to talk to somebody who's, you know, kind of normal and not an engine doesn't speak an engineer speak. <laughs> Which... I'm pretty nerdy, but I don't speak engineer. Oh, so good, I good. can speak science to you or um, cycling. So we'll stick with that. <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. Because I don't have my engineer nerd uh, decoder ring this morning. Now, <laughs> Allison, you are, uh, are you still currently the the Kanza Dirty Kanza record holder. I know you you got it in 2017. Is it does it still stand? It does still stand, and it looks like it'll be muddy this year. So um, you know it might still might still stand after this year as well. So um, it was a fastest time ever done at Dirty Kanza, 206 miles in 11 hours 40 minutes and 41 seconds. But who is counting? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that made my back hurt just hearing you say that. That was brutal. Um, for those of you who don't know uh, Allison, you really you really should. Um, now, first of all, she's she's uh, a former road pro, like I said, and so she's been around for a long time and and doing this for a long time and, and has been doing it at the top levels. But before that, Allison, you have a degree in molecular biology, correct? Yes, I'm a biochemist by trade and a graduate degree in clinical psychology. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I currently work in biotechnology. Okay. Uh, for those of you listening, I can't safely assume that Allison is smarter than you, but I can safely assume she's smarter than me. Um, so she, she's, she's a good, reliable voice here in a lot of ways, not only from experience, but just uh, clearly she's, she's a very smart, uh, very uh, uh, well-learned, well we'll say, person uh, in, in a lot of ways inside and outside of the bicycling industry. So uh, a, a pretty authoritative voice here. So let's, Allison, let's jump right in to the gear. Uh, we're going to start with gear because I think when you listen to the tech podcast, uh, that's primarily what our audience is concerned with. What are you running and what are you doing and what kind of modifications do you run? But let's, let's start with the basics. Um, gravel is still such a young, uh, nascent category. And so gear is, is changing so fast right now. So can you talk a little bit about your, your go-to setup for a race like Kanza? Um, 
and and compare it to sort of when you first started riding gravel. What's what is it? What's different today about your setup than it was, you know, when you first started racing gravel and got off the road? I think as gravels progressed, um, one of the biggest changes is, of course, going to be the bicycle. I think initially when gravel started, people are riding cyclocross bikes, road bikes, you know, mountain bikes, trying to just find this all-terrain bike. And now with the way the industry has evolved, you can get a specific gravel bike. Um, the main difference being there is tire clearance. So I will be riding Dirty Kansas. This will be my second year riding on a specialized Diverge, which is a gravel-specific bike. Um, and it can fit up to 42 millimeter tires. Um, I will be running 38 millimeter tires. Uh, so I think it starts really with the bike because you're looking for a geometry that's similar to a road bike, but maybe has a little, a little more relaxed geometry. Um, also with the tire clearance, so you're looking for a different bottom bracket height. And what's interesting, and a lot of brands are doing this, but with the Specialized Diverge, it has a future shock in the headset which is now also on the Roubaix, of course, which won pre-Roubaix, but it's a few, uh, it does offer a little bit of shock shock absorption. So you're over this terrain for so long and your body doesn't get as beat up. Mm -hmm. So I think it really starts with bicycle, finding a good fit, very similar to your road bike fit. However, the bike is able to fit bigger tires and offer you comfortable, like comfort over the long duration. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a big, a big step up. I think, um, and every gravel race is unique. Um, it's different than, I mean, it's similar to road racing in some ways where you have pre-Roubaix cobbles, you have, you know, fast tires of the, you know, fast pavement of the Giro. I mean, it just depends, but all gravel is different. You know, you could be in Idaho, Montana, Kansas, you know, and you have to know what type of gravel you're looking at. What's, is it going to be muddy? You're looking at that, that type of conditions that can vary. Um, it so happens in the Flint Hills in Kansas, the gravel is rock and it's actually Flint rock. So in my head, I just imagine I'm in an old Western and I'm imagining mm -hmm. arrowheads being made out of this Flint rock oh, cool. or, yeah, yeah. or you're starting fires <laughs> with it. And so it's really sharp. Um, you don't want to walk barefoot on it and it's really hard on sidewalls. So you're looking for a tire that has really tough sidewalls um, and you obviously are running tubeless. Mm -hmm. So... I'm running 38 millimeter trigger pros with orange seal tubeless. And, you know, those sidewalls are tough enough to hopefully handle the Flint rock mm -hmm. fingers crossed, you know, you yeah. never know. Yeah, yeah. Do you carry uh, like a, a tubeless puncture kit with you? I carry everything I own with me pretty much. <laughs> at Kansas. You know, I've got a lot of baggage, but yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can definitely <laughs> see it when I'm, when I'm at Kansas. Um, I do. I carry a couple tubes, of course, CO2s, a pump. Um, and I do carry tubeless, you know, an immediate tubeless fix thing. I mean, there's lots of ways you can try to fix your tubeless before putting in a tube. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have all of that with me and more <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and, you know, hope for the best. And I think you need to be the main thing with that. You need to be prepared for anything. Sure. And so, um, ideally you, 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 um, don't bulldoze too much and you can pick your line accordingly, but it's, mm -hmm. it's hard out there. Yeah. Um, and I tend to bulldoze <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Um, so I got, I, I want to back up. I want to get back to that in a moment, uh, and talking just about sort of what you pack with you, but I wanted to t rewind a little bit cause you talked about tires and I think the advent of gravel has really brought a spotlight on tires that we've never s seen before. I mean, people really focus on tire width, tire pressure, 
uh, tire tread, all these different things now. And it's not that people didn't focus on that before, but it seems so much more important now with the, with the dawn of, of gravel. And so let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you, you just told us your setup in terms of, of tires uh, for Kansas, but what about, you know, something like um, Belgian Waffle Ride, which you just did uh, not too long ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does how do you choose uh, ahead of time? I mean, is it just sort of a recon thing where you ride uh, a part of the, the course or you read about it and say, okay, uh, I'm going to need this width and this kind of tire tread. I mean, how do you make that decision? I, um, you know, we are talking about coming from a science background and in my road racing career, I love to time trial, which mm-hmm. that's about as dorky as you get in road racing. <laughs> and I think it's, you can, you can geek out on this as much as you want. Um, I try to stay relatively calm once I've made a decision, but the internet is a very powerful tool. And the good news, Dan, you, you and I might be dorky, but there are a lot more dorky oh, yeah. people out there. Oh yeah. So you just find them and yeah, they've right. written blogs and they've listened to your podcast yeah. and you've had them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you can read what has been successful before and you can read a lot about it. I look at who won, who's, what, what was in the top 10? What's their setup like? Um, so I did a lot of research going into Kansas the first time and the second time, like looking at what tires are successful, what bikes are successful. And also, so with BWR, same thing. Um, the first year, I'm like, I'm going to win the thing. And then my bike exploded, you oh, know, no. wrong tires, wrong wheels, a hundred and some miles in. Yeah. And I Ubered home. You know? oh, no. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, so what's really fast on one section is horrible right (laughs) (laughs) so this year for bwr i knew exactly what i wanted to ride being my third time doing the event and was pretty confident in my setup last year so this year i I rode the the new uh specialized roubaix Uh with uh future shock one like you know future shock 2.0 in it i mean that thing is so fast and light and i ran 26 millimeter tubeless tires and i mean that was no flats no issues I mean, besides, I crashed spectacularly yeah. and really hurt myself. I saw that. that was um, great. Badass, <laughs> that was badass photos, though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Mom, I did it for the gram. Yeah, My right. blood is all over the internet. <laughs> She's so proud of me. Yeah, um, hashtag gram life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, though, you look at, you could easily look at Velo News and Google what people ride and, and kind of get a concept of that and ask around. Um, and people love talking about tires. Like, the, the gravel bikes and then you you there's just whole tech forums on tires and tire pressure it stresses mm-hmm. me out um <laughs> but luckily i once i feel confident in a tire mm-hmm. um i i'm like okay the sidewall's good i like the tubeless you know tubeless on for those type of things is the only way to go sure. um and then you can kind of just take confidence in that tire and then and go from there. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of options. It's not rocket science, but there's definitely wrong tire choices. Sure, and sure. I still see people make those mistakes um, all the time. Like, why would you choose that tire? So that's the wrong day for this. Right, but right. Um, so yeah. we, we heard it here first. Allison Tetrick has invented Uber neutral support. Um, <laughs> that's a revolution in cycling right there. Um, <laughs> There's no team cars following you in gravel races, right. you know, so I'm always got to be creative. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've hitchhiked before too. So. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, getting back in, that's funny. Uber. I'm, I'm going to call an Uber just on purpose one day when I'm out on a ride, get a flat. I don't feel like fixing it. I'm just going to call an Uber. <laughs> the trick is do Uber XL because you know your bike will always fit in. Oh, see pro tips right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Allison, so we talked about tires. Let's talk about 
wheels. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. wheels probably are, they're, they're pretty important, but they're less consequential than tires. But uh, I think there's a lot of ways you can go with it. Um, what are you running uh, for wheels on your, your Kanza bike? Are you running deep section wheels or do you stay pretty minimalist to, to, to cut weight? What's, what's your thinking there? I've gone back and forth on this um, before. And for those of you that don't know, there's actually a fun video last year. If, if you want to geek out, like I actually took the, my specialized diverge into the wind tunnel at specialized and we, we tested oh, cool. position where I put my camel back. I mean, it's kind of a fun little video. Yeah. So we did geek out on uh, aerodynamics on my gravel bike, nice. which coming from my time trial background is hilarious. Right. Because um, <laughs> I had a camel back and I was like trying to put it, where do I put my flask right. in the pocket? Um, <laughs> I, um, so I ideally like aerodynamics do matter quite a bit in gravel racing. However, um, I ride with the Roval CX, um, CLX 32s. Um, now the option would be good to go up to the 50. Um, I just, I do think that you're already kind of weighted, weighted down. Um, you know, you've got a pack on, you've got like your whole life possessions and all your baggage and worries on this bike. Um, I prefer the way this, the 32s make me feel. Um, however, I have been told that possibly it would be better if I increased the aerodynamic, mm-hmm. um, like help for that. But sure. I, I like, I like the way the 32s ride, mm-hmm. um, and they're my favorite wheel. So I, I offer the CLX 32s. Okay. So you could go up to the fifties, but for aerodynamic advantage, but at some point there's sort of a point of diminishing returns in terms of weight and aerodynamics and things like that. Yeah. And it, I mean, the weight is so marginal in that point too. And yes, mm-hmm. the aerodynamics is bigger, but, um, I just think, you know, sometimes I start, you, you just, as the time wears on, I start feeling a little sluggish and I just like to feel a little like twitchier. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you are carrying, you know, a ton of stuff anyway. So you're not, you're not that aerodynamic sure. and, yeah, yeah. and you're, you're not light that day because your pockets are stuffed with, you know, 3000 calories and right, right. a flask. <laughs> the important stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's another one that uh, sort of has garnered a little bit of, of controversy. You know, our, our uh, managing editor, Chris Case last year did Kanza and he did it with a single uh, bar extension. Um, how, what are your thoughts on bar extensions and do you, do you find them useful? Do you think they should be allowed? Uh, is it worth the added uh, body position and, and aerodynamic gains, or is it just another piece of equipment that you have to lug around? I think, um, now I do think using your, if you do extensions like aero bar extensions on your bike, um, and if you're in that position, of course, it's more aerodynamic and you're faster in that position. Um, you're, you know, you need to be, make sure you're going fast enough that it matters. Right. So you want to be, but anything over basically 12 to 13 miles an hour, it starts mattering. Yeah. yeah. So Hopefully you're, you're doing Kanza around that pace or more. Um, I think personally, I will never put them on. Um, I quit road, not quit. I stopped road racing for that reason. I think it looks dorky personally. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to hide my inner dork, which is not helping me being on this podcast. Um, (laughs) we're revealing your, your dorkiness. Yeah. Um, it, it is faster. I, I think it's unsafe in groups. I I don't want to do a group ride with people in aero bars usually. Um, and also gravel is, is fickle. You know, it's not like you're on an op- like a paved road where you can see a pothole or a branch. Like all gravel might look the same, but you don't know where it's loose or, or that. And so I personally think it's a little dangerous. Um, you have to be really comfortable in it. And I try not to follow people in aero bars because I also don't know when they're going to hit, a, right. you know, what if they flat or something happens and you just don't have better control of your bike. Right. And then from a, 
technological standpoint, yes, they are faster if you're in your aero bars, but you're looking at a couple setbacks as well. Um, they do weigh more, so you're adding weight to your bike. Mm-hmm. So here you are going to spend thousands of dollars on your light carbon gravel bike, and then you're going to add a pound of extensions, <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Um, which is interesting. And then if you're not in them, basically it's causing dirty air, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you need to be pretty confident that you're going to ride in those aero bars over to outweigh the cost of having them on your bars when you're not using them. Right. And for me personally, I don't think I would do, like, I don't think I'm going to be in them enough to counteract having them on there because I'm going to be like, oh, what if there's a sinkhole that I'm going to fall into or, you know, something and I'm going to be a little nervous in them. And another thing I learned is also if you want to be very confident in your aero bars and if you're not, and you, then you may not be putting out as much power because you're worrying about stabilizing yourself, the bike or looking where you're going versus just being totally relaxed. And these are long days on the bike. Right, so, right. Okay. So Jeff Kabush owes you a high five because he's written a commentary <laughs> about this saying no, no extensions com- in gravel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm completely on his side with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if you look at these grand fondos we do around the country and you don't, you know, most of them, like if you're looking at these really large popular grand fondos, you, you don't usually allow aero bars in those. And mm-hmm. so I think it's similar. So I, I mean, I'm doing that for, my own sake and then also i tested in the wind tunnel and you know yes it's faster but you also are losing seconds every time you're not in it right so there is that and then the weight so if you are going to argue with me about safety i think that you have to look about how many how much you're riding by yourself how long are you going to be in them and do those pros outweigh the cons sure sure and and you're hearing this from somebody like you know just like allison said here is that you know she she did time trials professionally i mean she's comfortable i shouldn't be talking about you in the third person you're right here um you you're comfortable in in these these positions you've done this professionally so coming from you that that lends a a certain uh gravity to this this discussion i mean you know even in the best of conditions and i've ridden time trial bikes i you know even in the best conditions it's hard to steer and hard to maintain stability with your hands on those extensions You're, you're basically steering with your elbows add add gravel which is unpredictable and has you know gaps and 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 ruts and loose conditions you know you're really you're asking for trouble um so i think that's pretty wise but now if if we're saying no to extensions are there customizations that you do to your bike that uh do enhance your riding position your speed anything like that do you customize your ride uh to suit your specific habits um, I actually set up my, all my, I'm very lucky girl. So I have some specialized bicycles and I have them all set up the same, whether it's my Roubaix, Tarmac or Diverge. Um, they all are set up to my road racing fit that I have had for 10 years. Now I'm sounding old. Um, <laughs> and I've had the, you know, I've worked on this fit a lot with, you know, Andy Pruitt and retool and I've had this fit dialed. I literally have worked with him for 10 years. So I have my fit pretty much set. Um, and I'm riding that same position, um, on everything. Now, what I found interesting is with this, now it's not so new, but new introduction of hydraulic brakes and disc brakes on, you know, your virtual height comes up a bit because the hydraulics are in the top of your brake, your your shifters there. So that actually offers a little bit more grip. And I actually find it easier to do that flat forearm onto your handlebars. Mm -hmm. Um, and I spent a lot of time off the front 
in breaks or on the front or sometimes off the back right. <laughs> in races chasing. Yeah. That's where I live. <laughs> Either it's in the chasing back. off the front or off the back. I don't know. Yeah. In the pictures, it looks the same, right? Yeah, right. Um, but it's, I not about, it's not for, about going fast. It's about looking fast. <laughs> I was known for um, spending a lot of time by myself. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully off the front about to win and usually um, like usually always just getting caught within the last couple sure, hundred meters. Yeah. That, was my, that was my specialty. The romantic but, um, breakaway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's so many ways you can you can work on your you know aero um aerodynamics on a road bike if you think about it like and we tested this in the wind tunnel it is and i so I, I call it my breakaway position and i'm not talking your forearms aren't flat where you're like you're not in the center you're actually just on your hood so you right. still can shift and break but like you you have almost like a your your elbows and your forearms are perpendicular you know like it's a 90 degree angle and you're down there and that is actually super aerodynamic right, right. um and that's just as aerodynamic if not more than being in your drops curled up in like a breakaway ball right, <laughs> you know right, yep. and so i do work on practicing that um just in training but it's kind of your interval pose so you can work on how you're positioning on your bike and knowing that as you get tired you want to like sit up let your back stretch but you also want to be as low as possible to save those seconds because mm-hmm. seconds over a 12-hour event is quite a bit but also over a 12-hour event comfort matters a lot too so you know, you want to make sure you're not crushing your diaphragm and not getting enough oxygen in or causing your back to hurt. Right, so I think right. it's just practicing time in that position and working what like what works best for you to put out steady power, be comfortable and also hopefully be as aerodynamic as possible. Right. And for, for anybody who's listened to the tech podcast, you've probably heard various aerodynamicists and engineers tell you that round tube shapes are the enemy because they they create what what Allison termed as the uh, the dirty air. And that's essentially what's happening. Um, your arms are actually tube shapes. And so when you're in your drops, uh, you know, there's air hitting those tube shapes. Whereas in the position that Allison here is talking about where, you know, your arms are more up, kind of tucked away into your body, um, you're eliminating some frontal area there and you're eliminating some, some round tube shapes essentially. So yeah, it's technically faster. So it's actually a great way to sort of make yourself more aerodynamic without spending a dime. Um, but we, we're, we're a tech podcast. We like spending dimes. So Allison, what's uh, what's one piece of gear that you won't start any gravel race with that? What's your like one go-to thing that you absolutely need for every race? <laughs> well, I mean, besides the obvious, like I need gears and a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, you know, a bike, you know, that helps. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting about these gravel races is a lot of them aren't, the courses aren't marked. Um, and that's been um, really fun. It makes it a little a bit of an adventure but like Kansas not marked. So I use this Lazine GPS and you have to put, you download the map, you have to turn by turns, you follow these like breadcrumbs along the course and hope you don't get lost in right. the, you know, Flint Hills. So, <laughs> I mean, I think you, you obviously need a GPS and that's not for me now. It's not as much about my heart rate and power as it was in road racing. This is like right. literally where am I going yeah, and like right. <laughs> how close is the beer to the finish line? Right, you know, right, right. it's like, <laughs> Where am I? Wow, is there a beer finish line feature on Lazine's computers? That is badass. <laughs> I call it the happy hour feature. That's awesome. <laughs> Every computer um, should have this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's really important. Um, also, if it's self-supported or or you know you're looking for you know a course where neutral support is few and far between. Um, I run a Camelback chase vest. Mm-hmm. Um, so a hydration pack is really important for these events, especially the long ones where you're 50, 60, 70 miles before you can hit an aid station. So, and you're in like a hundred percent humidity and 85 degrees in Kansas. So I, I prefer the chase fest. I think that's awesome. Um, I don't know if you, some roadies and 
people don't like hydration packs. They're, you know, they think they're heavy and bulky. This one's purely made for gravel racing. It's, it's almost like a running vest, but it's for cycling. So it's really light. It has pockets. It's high enough. You can still reach your rear pockets for your Jersey. And uh, it carries 1.5 liters of water. Um, and then you can put like other emergency equipment in there and then also has pockets that are just intuitive and accessible. So you can have extra supplies in there. So I think those are all really important. Like hydration, GPS, of course, a you know kick-ass bike, wheels, um, and then you, then you're adding into the, all the other things. Like you're looking at what pedal combination is best. Uh, it depends. You know, all these races are different. Like I said, all gravel races are different. Like maybe road pedals are sufficient on some, like and others they aren't. Like BWR last two years, I rode road pedals. This year, I was like, you know, I always end up crashing in the sand. So right. and then I'm walking around the sand all day or calling uber so this year I, I i ride speed play on the road and so what's cool is they have a gravel pedal now on um, called the scissor and it fits very similar low stack height um mm-hmm. but it's made more for sandy muddy conditions so i'll run a scissor pedals on my my gravel bikes now and uh recon shoes which fit just like the s7s but they're the you know new cross-country shoes um by s works and they're awesome right so you're looking at things like that that you can be ready for these conditions if you're getting on and off your bike. So mm-hmm. I think that just helps your comfort and your overall success. Cause sure. you know, these, it's a lot about preparing on ahead of time, just like you would for a road race, but it's different cause there's more things that can go wrong. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, and it's funny to me, um, you know, I grew up mountain biking and so to me, you know, a hydration vest and, and mountain pedals to me is like, Oh yeah, that's a no brainer. But you know, if you're coming from road cycling, it's sort of a different mentality. I mean, you're used to just having two bottles on your bike and nothing on your back uh, and, and road, road pedals. That's what you default to, but this is different. I mean, you have to assume that at some point you'll be walking uh, and you have to assume that, you know, you're going to run out of water real fast if all you're carrying is two water bottles. So that vest, you know, the, the chase vest is really, really vital here. And, and one of the things, and this is going to date me here a little bit because it make me sound like an old man. Um, but, one of the things I like about that chase vest is that there's pockets on the front, uh, mm-hmm. right on the straps. And so, you know, that does that sounds like it's it's a convenience and whatever. It's nice. I can take it or leave it. But remember, these races are, you know, 150, 200 miles. You know, your your body is, is going through a lot. It's getting beat up. It's getting tired. And I personally have actually pulled a muscle reaching into my back pocket <laughs> to get an energy bar. And so, you know, after a long ride, you know, it's nice to just be able to unzip a little pot, a little pocket right on the front of your vest and not risk, you know, making that, that strange dramatic movement to your back pocket. Now I know I sound like an old man and, and you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably like an 85 year old in a 37 year old body, but, um, but it's, it's legitimate, especially because in gravel, your body does get beat up quite a lot, a lot even your upper body. So, you yeah, know, so I think, yeah, sorry, you're looking ahead. for comfort yep. out there too. Yep. And, and, and if you have heard me talk on this podcast, you know that one of the trade-offs you will, you will have to make at some point is, is, is for arrow or things like that is comfort, man. Comfort is fast. You know, comfort is what's going to keep you on the bike long-term. Um, so that's really important. That's a good thing to, um, to, to consider when you're making your gear list, but let's take a step back. Um, before the race even starts, uh, before you even, you know, get on a training ride for it or anything, you know, what does your prep for Kansas specifically look like? Like one week out, two weeks out, um, you know, what are you, what are you doing for gear? What are you doing for mental preparation, motivation? You know, what is, what is the lead up to a race like Kansas look like for you? Um, I, 
would like to say I don't specifically prepare for Kansas, so sorry to disappoint <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody. Um, I ride my bike a lot, and I do a lot of events. Um, so whether, I mean, Belgian Waffle Ride, that's a seven-hour day in the saddle. Um, rock Cobbler, you know, these fun gravel events. I, I go as hard as I feel like that day and hope that's called training. Right. Um <laughs> I, I do my local group rides. I, I do some structure. I mean, I do have a full-time job. So contrary to what it looks like on Instagram. So, I mean, I try to make sure I'm balancing work and getting out on my bike quite a bit. Um, but I think that a big mistake people make in training is they're intimidated by a race like Kansas because it's so long. It's, you know, say on a, your best day, it's a 12 hour ish day. Right. And um, that doesn't mean you need to go and do a double century prior to Kansas. Like, yes, you should have several hundred mile rides in your belt. Yes. You should work on you, your nutrition and your endurance and your pacing. But I don't, I don't think you need to go and simulate the course just to know you can do it. Um, so I think you can train for that, this in 10 hours a week or something. Um, I think it's very doable. Um, but as far as mental practice I think that's the biggest key is knowing your equipment trusting your equipment being prepared for any and all scenarios and then when it hits the fan have the flask or something to like not take yourself so seriously <laughs> sure. yeah. and to remember to have fun out there um but mentally I think it's a challenge and you need to work on your mental strength and knowing when you're out there you're going to feel really bad sometimes and you're going to feel really good sometimes and no matter what, that's not going to last. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, you're th those waves of emotion are going to come and go and it's a long day. And so what I, I worked, which I've stolen this and used it in my life now to like figure out relationships and yeah. work. And, yeah. But Celine, uh, Celine Yeager gave me this mantra the first year I did Kansas and it's, it's called forward progress, mm -hmm. take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you get, out there and you need to make sure like you're having a bad time or a good time. You're like, okay, what am I doing? I'm pedaling my bicycle. Is it going forward? Maybe you're walking your bicycle. Right. Are you moving forward? Right. Okay. Check. And so sometimes when you feel really good, you're like, I don't need to drink. I feel great. And then, so then you have to go back to the second part, which is take care of yourself. So mm -hmm. you need to making sure you're eating calories every hour. You're drinking a bottle every hour. You're um, taking care of your emotional, mental, and physical needs during that time, and then keep pushing forward because there is beer at the finish line and you're only going to get there if you're moving forward. Right, right. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully there's a burrito stand right next to that beer stand because that's what motivates me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever motivates you, find it. Um, yeah. But it's a, you go through all sorts of dark places out there and and you go crazy. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you become a nut. Um, like I hallucinated, I saw stormtroopers, um, you know, I saw tropical oasises. I heard weird music coming from nowhere, like yeah. a garage band that was playing, you know, like sweet free soundtrack. Not bad. <laughs> I, know. I know. So like mentally, when you're out there in training, you can, you know, you can practice visualization, you can practice being in all those places of hurt. But I think it's just about mentally preparing yourself for the challenge and staying calm with it. Like, it's the same thing in time trialing, but time trialing is basically Kanza like, you know, a 1000 speed faster, right? Right. And so I used to in time trialing, um, I used to be like, you know, you, know, you want to focus so much because you don't want to make a mistake. You want to be arrow. You want that. You don't want to make any mistakes in corners or power let down or anything like that. Now, Kansas, like such paint drying slower than that. Right. But what I used to say in time trialing was like when I would lose focus, I would panic, you know, like, oh, my goodness. I, you know, my power is now dropped from 335 watts to 320, you know, whatever. Right. 
And, and you'd be like, okay, everyone in this race is going to lose focus. Now it's just going to be how like quickly you can regain focus and find that confidence again. So I think that's the same thing in these long endurance events Totally, yeah. and just taking care of yourself too, like, and not panicking. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to plug our competitors, but, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a magazine that rhymes with tricycling magazine, uh, mm-hmm. did a great write up about Allison and, 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 and a lot of these mental preparation issues came up and I think it's a fantastic read and you should definitely check it out if you haven't. Um, but you know, you, you talked just about, you know, hallucinating and it's kind of funny, you know, and, and I've had the same situation happen in a 24 hour race. Uh, I actually wrote about it in Bell news where I, I hallucinated a van that was going to hit me and I had to like, Oh, I got to get off my bike. So the van doesn't hit me, but I was in the middle of a desert at midnight. So, you know, of course there was no <laughs> van and it's funny to talk about it after the fact, but it is really mentally taxing in the moment. And I think that's something that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Allison, because you're, you're clearly much better at this than I am. But, um, one of the things that I think makes a successful endurance athlete is the ability to stare down those parts of your brain that most people don't want to even admit exist. And, and that's, that's part of the allure of it, but it's also probably one of the scariest things about it is, is really diving into your brain and understanding, you know, here are my limits, here are my fears. I have to look these right in the face and take them with me out on the course here. Um, what what is that like for you? I mean, how do you? I mean, you know, Celine's advice is fantastic, but for somebody who is heading out to Kansas for their first time and and knowing that this is going to be daunting, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it wasn't like a switch was flipped for you, and all of a sudden you had this mental toughness. I mean, what was it like in the dark moments where maybe you didn't, you weren't able to uh, to work through that? You know, it doesn't. We all are faced with that regard, like even at everyone's level. I mean, for me, I still feel impending doom. I'm like, <laughs> what version of Allison am I going to meet out there? Right, <laughs> like, right. You know, and I'm already, I, I've been talking to my support team, you know, that's supporting me. I'm like, Hey, this is where my mindset is right now. You know, give me some fight. Like I'm, I'm kind of coming up with my soundtracks, you right, know, I, right. I'm trying to pump myself up because it's a dark, it's dark and lonely out there. But a part of me, that's why I love endurance sports. I find it fascinating I learned so much about myself um, and I'm looking forward to meeting whoever is out there. And yeah, I'm probably questioning all life choices, including signing up for Dirty Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have to remind myself this because after leaving, you know, world tour road racing and, you know, you're on the start line and it's, you know, pouring rain and Flanders or whatever you're doing. And you're like, I would feel like impending death, like yeah. the neutral section is hard enough, you know, right. and then you're going to go and do this course and the cobbles look slippery and you don't want to crash, you know, so you have all this like nerves. And when I left road racing, I entered gravel racing to not have those nerves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there I am the start of Kansas shaking because, you know, you're <laughs> shuttling 2000 people into a right turn onto gravel at six in the morning right. and it's scary and people are passing you in their arrow bars and, you know, pushing you and yeah. you're like, I didn't sign up for this. And then you go, yeah, yeah, I did actually. Yeah, I did. And they make you pay for your injury. Yeah. And I paid for that injury. <laughs> I literally paid for this suffering. I yeah. literally paid for this injury and I flew to Kansas, then drove yeah. an hour yeah. and a half. And Man, so, I paid a lot for this. In yeah. fact. Like you're looking at the thousands of dollars it yeah. has cost me to do this. Right. And it's, it does make you laugh. And I don't know if it'll help the listeners, but when you get nervous and you're like, this is horrible. What am I doing? It just, you have to kind of check yourself out and be like, literally, 
your wife didn't like hold your hand at the start line and be like, Dan, you got to do this. Yeah, like right, you right. showed up, yeah. like you actually got a babysitter. I made preparations so, for this. Yeah. yeah. Like you trained all yeah. year. Every time you were on your group ride, you were thinking about Kansas and every right. time you're out doing repeats at Flagstaff, you were thinking about this. And so you actually did sign up for this mm-hmm. and then it's kind of, it makes you laugh and also realize that you do want to be there, right. even though you're thinking how stupid it is at the time. Right. Um, So preparing for that too, but also reminding yourself why you're doing this. Like I want to challenge, I want to venture. I want to see if I can get better. I want to see if I can finish. I want to see if I can win, you know, all of these goals, they think about what inspires you when you're out there in training and bring that back. And, and then sometimes it is funny because the crazy person you meet in your head will start talking back to you in third person. (laughs) Like, Allison, you're supposed to be good at this. You signed up for this. I thought you were so good. (laughs) Thought you were a big shot. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought I would have you a bad day in the group ride or something several weeks ago. And I get passed by this triathlete or whatever. And I'm just right. You know, when you pull the plug, you're riding kind of slow. Right. Yes. He's like those rear holster things and he has these camelbacks in his you know rear holster on his bike and i'm like yeah. i wonder if he knows i'm sponsored by camelback right, right. <laughs> he's like move over girl you know yeah, yeah. i'm like oh man i get paid to ride my bike yeah 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 well that's the yeah I, that's a problem i go through all the time you know i i ride a lot of 10 15000 bikes for my job right i'm testing this mm-hmm. gear i'm not a 10 or 15000 athlete i am like i'm like a walmart bike kind of uh kind of kind of guy but so i i totally totally feel you um, but I guess, you know, it's funny, it, it is funny and, and, it, and we do kind of exist in an absurdist sport. I mean, we, we take pleasure in this, this agony we put ourselves through and, and that, that, that is no more clear than in, in road racing. And, and you spent a decade doing that. Um, and you, you've, you mentioned a couple things already, but as a former road pro, what was it like to transition from pavement to dirt in terms of gear riding style and even even mentally you know you mentioned that it's like oh yeah i, I want to get away from this nervousness of of road cycling and this and this anxiety um but what what was it in a more practical sense what was that transition like you know getting used to gear and getting used to the the different format of of, of races and things like that um i actually have joked that i spent you know nine years racing like world tour races to train for gravel because like i said i i did a lot of time traveling i rode a lot off the front a lot on the front yeah and so um and those that know me from my road racing th- uh, background i used to say drafting's cheating because yeah. i'm like why draft like i'll just yeah. ride alongside the peloton then i won't crash right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> i can't draft by the way i just some you know sometimes i choose not to right. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that you have a lot of high steady power and that transitions really well to gravel is, you know, high rolling resistance. So I was always good on cobbles anyway. Um, and you know, maybe not the chaos of the spring classics, but once the, once it like kind of blew apart, then it's just high steady power, um, with higher rolling resistance, which mm-hmm. I seems to be one of my fortes. So transitioning into that, but, um, also I think just being self-supported was, an interesting thing to learn on, you know, navigating yourself, finding feed zones. I mean, you don't have a follow car, you don't have someone to change a wheel for you. Yeah. So there's, there's also that. So there's still the pack mentality, but just due to the duration of some of these endurance events, you know, you end up being by yourself or you most likely should end up being by yourself for quite some time of it. Mm -hmm. And you just need to get ready to kind of own that power versus 
in road racing, there's places to hide. Um, and in some of these gravel events, like there's just not, you know, you just end up out there with the cows and find a good country song in your head and keep rolling. So it's something about that, that I found interesting, but also now this equipment as gravel's gotten bigger, it's like we were talking about at the beginning of the show is the equipment's becoming so specialized, but it's becoming much more, you know, using the benefits of the innovation of the roadside, you know, you know, this year, we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm going to run the new SRAM Grupo. Um, I'm gonna have electronic shifting. Yeah, I have a one by, but you know, I have all these gears on there. Um, I'm running the the Eagle axis Mm -hmm. on there. So that's going to be interesting to have electronic (laughs) E-tap. Yeah. And so I have all the gears that I would want in time trialing, but on a one by on this gravel bike. And we talked about the geometry, the same, the pedals are trying to like make it. So it feels a lot of like I'm road racing. It's just, you're racing a little slower and right. re- rolling resistance a lot higher. Right. Let's talk about ETAP a- access for a minute. Um, you know, we talked just briefly before the show about your gearing and, and you said that you were bringing a couple different options, but um, tell, tell us what you're going to run for gearing for Kansas um, and and uh, what 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 apprehensions do you have about running electronic shifting and what solace do you take? And I mean, you know, things things can happen to, you know, cable actuated stuff. And, and um, what are you doing to sort of prepare for this new world of, of electronic shifting and gravel? Yeah, I um, I'm really excited about it. Uh... Like I said, this will be my first my first uh, time at Kansas running it. Um, but I'm running Force um, Access. It's will be uh, I'm running a 44 tooth chain ring up front, and then a 1050 oh Eagle gosh. cassette in the back. Yeah, that's killer. <laughs> Pretty stoked. Like yeah. I have every single gear you could possibly want. Right. And I actually was like, oh, I don't really need that 50. But then why not? You can have it because it has all the gears. Right, like there's right. and there's no jumps. Um, I was really happy with the way it performed last weekend. And of course, things can happen with electronics if you're looking at mud and water, like, and worried about that. But I, this thing, this has been tested, you know, quite extensively. Yeah. And of course, in those same conditions, things can happen with cable, yeah. like cables as well. So um, I am bringing a, a SRAM mechanic with me to be in my pit, uh, my two support stations. So mm-hmm. he'll be there with, you know, spare parts if need be. Um and so I think that we'll be pretty ready on that. So it, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of gears. I'm, yeah. I'm actually yeah. really stoked because Kansas doesn't have super steep pitches, but they believe me after 10 hours on yeah. the bike, like yeah. it's still about 11,000 feet of climbing over 200 miles. So it's not that much climbing if you're looking at it broken up over those hours, but it's nothing's really flat. So you're going to use that middle of the cassette a lot in the back. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, would, I, think it's, I would imagine by really... 11, 11 or 12 hours in, I mean, any, any hill looks like the tourmalade, right? <laughs> I know yeah. it does. It does. So, I mean, I think that Eagle cassette will be great. Um, and yeah, you might on that particular course, you might not need the top cassette, but you know, something happens or if it's really muddy, you just never know. Um, and I think the electronic is going to be awesome. Um, have you been, and running... then it'll just, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, have you been running uh, one by for a while? And, and what do you think of that? I mean, do you think there's an application for two by in gravel or do you think one by is really where it's at? I believe one by I've ridden force one by on my gravel bikes for the last three, you know, since I've ridden gravel mm-hmm. and a couple of times I was like, ah, oh, you know, you get a little jealous and there's like a fast pavement section, you know, cause you know, none of this is all on gravel. Right. And you get, yeah. ah, but then I did one muddy um, event this year at Rock Cobbler, and I watched so many front derailers get sheared off. Right. Um, 
I, at that point I was like, oh, maybe I'll ask Saran what they think. And they were saying one by one by. And then I saw literally after seeing three front derailleurs sheared off in, in like one mud section, I was like, I'm so glad that Saran yeah. told me to always ride one by. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and once again, it's like super intuitive with the axis and the Eagle and all those, all those gears, it, it rides just like my road bike. So mm -hmm. the gear, the gear ratio is the same, you know, it, yeah, I had, you know, these bailout gears and this. I don't know if you've seen this cassette, but it's like a mullet cassette, right? Yeah. It's a huge party in the back. Right. You know? It's massive, yeah. <laughs> and it's got this fantastic color. It makes me smile when I look down at it. Um, but to have all those gears is is really fantastic because you can clear rockier things just like you would on mountain biking. And I am not a mountain biker, don't even own one. Sure. So I assume that's what it's like mm -hmm. um, when you're doing more rocky conditions or mud and to have those options. And also when the gear ratios and the shifts in between the cassette feels just like my road bike and i'm i'm a little bit of a goldilocks when it comes to gear ratios because i like to time trial 88 rpms i like to do this at 85 right. i like and i'm a like a bulldozer and a masher so any sort of jump in cassettes makes me really angry mm -hmm. so having this <laughs> these really smooth transitions and having all those gears i'm like goldilocks and so happy yeah you know it's yeah. just right that's cool. So <laughs> we got, we got a couple minutes left and I, I have like 40 more questions for you, but I guess we're gonna have to skip a few. I got all day, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. I don't know if our listeners do, but I definitely do. Um, <laughs> but let's talk, I want to talk about Kanza specifically and kind of some of your experiences there. But, but before we do that, um, I want to talk about women's specific gear because I feel like it's pretty controversial, maybe unnecessarily so. Now I know in the past, the the convention has been like shrink and pink, you know, oh, we'll just make it smaller and, and put flowers on it or something. But now it's actually legitimately, there, there are legitimate women-specific products, particularly touch points. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious if, um, if you use any women-specific gear and why and how it benefits you. Um, absolutely. Um, I... I was able to be a part of a really amazing product um, project that specialized the last several years on um, where we were working on developing a women's specific saddle. Um, so we did launch last year, the power saddle with mimic technology. And I know I name dropped Andy Pruitt earlier in the show, but I literally was working with him for 10 years on my bike fit. So when I told him I had some issues on saddle, um, saddle discomfort, and I said, this, there's this problem, like women are having this problem yeah. and they're like, and I go, what's the company that I can call that can right. <laughs> will actually do something about this? Yeah. And, you know, the big S. And uh, so for about two and a half, three years, I've done so much product testing and uh, with them. And they have this incredible team of engineers. So we were able to launch this entire women-specific saddle. And it's done so well and helped so many people. And I'm very proud to be a part of that project. Mm -hmm. um, so check out Power Saddle with Minute Technology. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I spent so, so long on it. But it's like, it's really cool that you know, where it matters to put an innovation and scientific research into women specific, um, products. And this actually, it was in the wall street journal a couple of weeks ago. So I'm yeah. very proud. Um, I told my parents, I said, sorry though. I mean, it's about saddles and I use <laughs> words. I, I don't know if I can say them on your show, you know, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, please do go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I was like, sorry, dad, it's in Forbes, but I said vagina in Forbes. <laughs> Hey, that, that, anyway, that's a resume blurb right there, I think. I <laughs> um, anyway, but I think, though, that really matters. You're looking at touch points where gender differences are obvious. Um, that matters. I ride a, a size 56 bike um, with a 120 stem. I am not a small person. Mm -hmm. um, so 
that's just using me. Like I may never was in the market for a women's specific bike frame just because right. I'm tall and have a long legs. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. But um, I think though, where you don't necessarily need a women's specific bike though, like the geometry can be the same if you're a five foot one male or female. Um, so I think where those that happens, like you can steer away from away from those touch points where you're just looking at bone structure and proportion. So if you're looking at that, like I think a size 49 bike should be a size 49 bike and gender neutral. And I think that's the way that we're going now. And that makes sense to me. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but to me, I don't think it needs to be pink and have flowers. And I mean, yes, you can buy one of pink and flowers, but I think a 49 bike should have the same geometry um, because that's what you're your bone structure is telling you that fits. Right. So moving away from gender specific issues on that, um, I think is important, but if you're looking at saddles, you know, bibs, mm-hmm. yep, yep. <laughs> uh, things like that. And then now, now you have to think about other things that are different. Like, um, the chase vest I, I run by Camelback. I mean, they have a women's specific chase vest and mm-hmm. that makes sense too. If you're looking at something that you're strapping across your chest, right. you're looking at different structure there where you want the, you know, fastenings to go and be more comfortable. If sure. you're male or female, that's yeah. going to be obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so women specific products like that, where it matters, I think is really cool. And for women to keep talking about it, what they need and what they want in this sport. And I mean, I've been very privileged to work with a company willing to put not just marketing dollars behind saying it, but also a huge budget behind research and innovation on that. And I think there's so many more options for that as we're moving forward. And to kind of take a stand for making the sport more comfortable mm-hmm. and more accepting for everybody, you know, male, female, however you identify, whatever race, color, religion you are and making the sport more accessible, right. then it's just going to help our industry overall. Yeah. And, and I think there's an important point to be made there. I mean, I think we're all pretty critical of the bike industry when they, when they mess up and, and for you and rightfully so. Um, and they've messed up a lot. I mean, the, the earliest iterations of women specific bikes were like, come on guys, this is just a smaller bike and you know, it doesn't make sense and it's not science-based. It's just, you're trying to appeal to an audience. And I think brands listened to that and they said, okay, we're going to do this right. And we're going to get input from female riders. We're going to get, you know, we're going to, we're going to make changes that make sense. And I think there's, you know, like I said, we're, we're pretty hard on the bike industry when they screw up credit where credit's due. I think a lot of brands are making the changes to sort of address this in a more appropriate way and, and in a better way. Um, and I think the, the mimic saddle is a good example of that. Um, did you ever watch that video? It's pretty funny. <laughs> with the, the one of you in the, in the aero tunnel or the, the mimic one, the mimic. Saddle. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, that's a good bit of marketing. I got to say, um, it's, it's worth watching. If you haven't seen it, do it. Um, okay. In the few minutes we have left, uh, I would be remiss if we did not talk about a little bit of Kansas, uh, experiences and, and, um, you know, in, in 2018, um, you did not win. Uh, you had a pretty good crash. Um, tell us about your Kansas 2018 experience. What went right? What went wrong? Um, what were some of the, the, the moments in the race that really stand out to you? Um, you know, God, everything. I actually just, I did not have that great of a day. Um, and you know, there's gravel racing's changing in a lot of ways too. It is, I mean, now looking, you're having world tour riders show up and I mean, it's, it's, it's a road race now, you know I mean? There's, yeah. there's strategy and there's teams out there and I'm just, that's not why I do it. So I need to remember, um, and, and cans actually helped me with that last year was not a great year. I, you know, but it was okay. Like I went hard as hard as I could, you know, that day, you never know 
what that's going to look like. Um, had, had a couple, you know, malfunctions and it's little problems, you know, here and there, but, um, reminding myself, I think what I learned from that is, is to have fun. <laughs> like yeah. you have to check in on yourself because I tell everyone to do gravel cause it's fun. And then I'm out there and like, we were talking early in your mental toughness. You're right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like these people quick. I'm riding with a bad, bad day. I'm cramping, you know, yeah. my bike's broken or, you know, whatever's happening. Right. And, and I'm like, okay, are you having fun? No. Yeah. Well then start having fun. Cause you know, you signed up for this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's just changed a lot that way. So last, last year it was, it's just, it's a stressful start. It, it's always, it's always will be most likely. Um, it's a stressful start. Um, the, you know, and I usually try to stay with that front group of guys as long as I can. And, and then you like hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're dealing with all sorts of different tactics and heat and conditions. So it was, it was challenging in a lot of ways for that reason. And being by myself for a long time is, you know, apparently I love to be alone and will always be alone. <laughs> um, that's, that's hilarious and sad at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like when you end up by yourself, you're like, well, I always wanted to be alone. Right, right. My mother's right. Yeah. <laughs> I <just> die alone. <laughs> die alone in the Flint Hills of Kansas. Um, Man, you got a brutally honest subconscious. I got to say. <laughs> I just, I think it's, I'm more comfortable sharing that those darker sides. So then when you guys are out there and you feel the same thing, yeah, you'll be like, yeah. I'm actually not alone. Allison is crazier right. than I am. Yeah. And she is more alone than me. And she's she's <laughs> right here with me. Allison Tetrick's in my head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think though, you know, pushing forward and yeah, having a, a pretty big mishap there towards the end was okay. It, you know, you just kind of, all right, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And and to, and to be okay with that. Like, I think at the end of the day, just like we do in any of these events and goals that inspire us that we're training for, and you have to go to these events with no regrets and know also that anything can happen and it could completely hit the fan. And that's why you have a flask. Like I said, like you have to like stop taking yourself so seriously yeah. when you need to and be hard on yourself when it matters, yeah. you know, and if you're trying to make a split or you're trying to pace yourself a certain way, like be hard on yourself then. But when it doesn't work, don't spend the next 50 miles by yourself, like beating yourself like up over it. Like you have to regroup, stay positive and remind yourself to have fun because as much as don't get me wrong, I'm going to go as hard as I can this weekend. But I'm also (laughs) I'm also going to have fun. And that's why we do this is to to do it together and have fun and and not take ourselves too seriously else you know, I'm going to go back and race world tour, like, (laughs) (laughs) which was fun in its own right too. But like, I think the process. So Mm -hmm. last year I learned a lot about that because there was a lot of pressure and, you know, people want to beat you. And then also I have a lot of obligations to the sponsors and everybody that makes this possible for me and a community I'm very invested in. I'm very invested in the gravel community and I want to give so much back to these people and be everywhere and everything for them. And then you're out there and you're having a bad day and you're like, they're going to hate me after this. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe have a flask ready for your buddies too, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think you have to be ready for that all. And and yeah, so last year's Kansas was unique in that way. And like I said, it's changing with teams and it's mass start, it's stressful and it's hot and windy, muddy, you know, you name it, but it's, it's gonna, it'll be a whole nother, circus again this weekend you know yeah. you just you got to deal with what hands you you know hand you get dealt and then stay as positive and focused as you want to and mm-hmm. then also like let go of that tire pressure and the pressure in your life when right. you need to do that right and and remember that your tire pressure isn't going to make or break your race you know it's it, it, you deal with the things as they come 
right and- exactly i i actually <laughs> what tire pressure i i run is that's like the huge like the huge question like yeah. out on the porta potties and start line what tire <laughs> pressure, pressure what tire pressure you know yeah, yeah. i just tell my mechanic not to tell me right. because like in my head i want to run 50 believe right. me i'm not running 50 i think it's like 38 <laughs> and 40 but like it freaks me out coming from a road racing background yeah. like i like 85 to 88 right now that's right. my new tire pressure on my road bike like right. love 85 to 88 and i can tell you if it's 91 and i can tell you if it's 84 like i'm a dork yeah, yeah. like i will tell you if my saddle height is a millimeter too low i will tell you everything i'm very particular Sure. But my tire pressure on gravel, I just, I, I panic because <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's too low. It's, it, it just feels squishy. Right. And so I just tell them, I'm like, just don't tell me, don't right. tell me. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. yeah. Trust your mechanic. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the, the ultimate takeaway here, right? Is trust your mechanic, right? <laughs> if you're, if you're your own mechanic, oh boy, that's, that's a whole different uh, set of anxieties. <laughs> right. As you can tell, I have enough anxiety in my life, so yeah, right, right. Good, thing, good thing I have a good SRAM mechanic to yeah. help me out. <laughs> I guess I need, I guess that's what I need in my life is a SRAM mechanic. <laughs> um, so last question, and then and I'll, I will free you to go uh, train and, and have, have the rest of your holiday to yourself. Um, beyond Kansas 2019, what are, your, what are your goals for the rest of the year, whether it be on the bike or off the bike? Um, I am just super excited to go to some new gravel events on and adventure more. I mean, last year I did this crazy bike packing trip in Kyrgyzstan on my gravel bike, which is insane. Never camped before this year. I'm headed to, um, after cans, I'm going to Oregon for that Oregon trail gravel grinder. Mm -hmm. Really excited about a point to point five day, like gravel thing. I think that sounds awesome. Like involves camping and beer and even showers in between so oh, there's all of my favorite things thing. yeah yeah <laughs> um an event in iceland called the rift in july oh man now pretty you're, excited now you're making about me that. jealous yeah yeah i mean at this point when someone throws out an idea for something gravel whether it's for adventure like the bike packing trip in kyrgyzstan or to race or yeah. just to see something new um like i said i'm very invested in the gravel community and and want to support events all over and also just see what it's about and that's the cool thing about gravel is each community and terrain offers something unique and, you know, the scenery is different. The gravel's different. The people are just as rad. So, you know, I'm headed back to Pennsylvania for that unpaved event, you know, super cool to ride gravel in Pennsylvania on yeah. um, like in the fall, like, like it's stuff like that is just so cool. But yeah, looking forward to the, um, in the Cascades at Oregon trail gravel grinder five uh-huh. days and then Iceland super stoked on that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it gets much better, you know, yeah. riding gravel bikes around the world. It's, I have a, I have a good job. Yeah, that's not bad <laughs> at all. Allison, thank you so much for, for joining me today. That was definitely one of my favorite tech podcasts. I appreciate you joining me today. You and, tell everybody that, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's totally my, that's how I butter people up at the end. Uh, no, this was definitely one of my favorites. I, I appreciate you coming on and talking. Uh, and for any of you guys listening, if you have questions or comments about this uh, episode or any episode, please do tweet at me at Brown Tide Dan. I'm more than happy to uh, take your Twitter abuse and, and questions. And uh, please do subscribe to our podcast and all of our podcasts uh, at Bella News. And uh, I will have another Bella News Tech podcast coming at you soon. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you.